Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hello, I'm Tom Luma. And I'm Jason Comstock. And welcome to We Happy Few, our podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories. Stories that will cover a broad spectrum of lived experiences, from time and service to the return home and beyond. Experiences shared with the hope that all listeners will better understand the sometimes complicated lives of veterans and their families. Thank you for listening to We Happy Few. This is Amy Donaldson, and today on We Happy Few, I'm going to talk with Amy Alleman. On February 23, 2009, Army Corporal Michael Alleman was one of three soldiers killed in Balad, Iraq. He left behind his wife, Amy, and two sons, Kenneth and Kai. At the time, Kenneth was six, Kai was four. Today, we talk to Amy about what it's like to live with the sacrifices that her family has made for this country. Kai and Kenneth are also going to read from their dad's journals and talk about what it's like to live a lifetime on just a few years of memories and other people's stories. Is Michael? Oh, Michael. Um, Michael Boyd Alleman was born in January of 1978, and he was born in Blackfoot, Idaho. With he's the oldest of four, so going to Fort Benning for him was, in a way, kind of like going home, I guess. And and he <laughs> he wanted to be an astronaut growing up. And there's this picture that his mom has of him that she had snuck in. He was supposed to be in bed, and he's got on a t-shirt, and then these cute little white underwear and he's just a little boy and he's just staring out at the stars he's always been fascinated with space and dinosaurs and sharks i think the typical little boy things like that um you know and then he was really bummed when he found out he couldn't be an astronaut because his eyesight wasn't good enough michael was a lover of knowledge like he collected national geographics and uh, he loved, he read, read everything from existentialism to Twilight, you know, and he would just, he would just devour it. Anything he could get his hands on. He loved snakes when he was a kid. They would just almost like gravitate towards him, you know. And <laughs> so therefore, I think when he got out of high school, I think it was difficult for him to figure out what he actually wanted to do. Originally, before he went to USU for education to, to teach school, he wanted to be a geologist. He loved the way that the earth is formed, and he loves being outdoors. So we would drive places, and he'd be like, you see how this line and that dirt looks like that? It's because of this, 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 and this. And I'm like, okay. Like, I loved hearing it, but I was. it took me a long time to understand 
what it was, you know, and stuff. So let me first tell me, Michael was a, a junior high school teacher? Uh, elementary. Elementary, uh-huh. elementary school. Yeah, he taught fifth grade. At Nibley Elementary, which is just like about four miles from where I live right now. We were in the middle of his second year there when we felt that we needed to join the military. And so, you know, that was a really big experience right there. But because of the circumstances, we were going to wait until the end of the school year to go. But then we found out we could get this massive enlistment bonus if he could leave in like a month. And so he wasn't contracted with the school, so... We kind of like signed up in December and he left January 10th for basic training. So it was really, really quick. I was pregnant with our third baby and I miscarried on Christmas Eve. And then while I thought I had just miscarried, I actually had an ectopic that had burst. It was January 4th and I was like, I don't feel very good. So I went into the hospital. They found out that that's what it was. So they rushed me into surgery. And and then, you know, what? five days later, I'm we're standing there at the army place. Like I've just had surgery and I'm waving goodbye. Like, see you in four months. I don't know. I look back at that time and it just feels like such a whirlwind. How in the world did we make it through that? (laughs) Even though I was not too far in my pregnancy, that's still really hard. It's a loss, you know, that that's really hard to deal with. And I didn't have him there with me to lean on like that. So we had to do it through letters. And somehow it feels like a road that I knew that we were always going to go down. I don't know really how to explain that, but it just seems so Michael. But at the same time, you know, he's so much more than just a soldier. You know, he's a husband and he's a father and he's, he's a, a son and a brother and he's, and he did immensely well in all of those roles. Like when he did the ASVAB test down in Salt Lake, um, his military recruiter, Chris Johnson, um, he told me, he's like, I'm just going to tell you this because I know that he won't because he's too humble, but he got the highest possible score you can get. He's <laughs> wickedly smart, but he's also down to earth and he's, he's witty and funny. And, you know, and so I knew that he would be a wonderful soldier and, and he's honorable. He's so honorable and he is extremely hardworking. There was actually a letter when he was in Iraq that they had to carry this equipment, this certain amount of miles, and everybody took turns carrying this extra equipment already on top of their combat vests and and how he carried it. And instead of when his time was up, instead of handing it off to the next person, he waited until his commanding officer made him hand it over because he was like, I'll just keep carrying it. You know, he, he was so strong physically and he was very strong mentally. And I think that's also made him a really good soldier because he could think quick on his feet. They, they never had to worry that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was so good with words. He was so good with words, and I love that. So I love my letters that he wrote to me because they're just so poignant, and they're just, they're just beautifully written. But he's very quiet, and he has a very angry-looking face. <laughs> when you were talking about one of the things that drew me to him, that was it, was his angry looking face. I'm like, he looks like a serial killer. And yet I think that's really cute. Like, <laughs> And um, he, we, we were working at Macy's grocery store and he worked on the night crew. And I would just, I was a checker at the time during the day, but I would work sometimes, you know, until the night checker came in. And so he would come into work and I was always like, God, who is that really just stoic, angry looking guy, you know? <laughs> 
I was so drawn to him. And then uh, I worked on the night crew for a month. And then the very last night before I was going to go back to days, he asked me out on a date. And that was literally like the first time he ever talked to me was to ask me out on a date. <laughs> Which he, apparently his mom told me he hadn't been on a date in an entire year before he went out with me. Because she told him, I'm not making you another pan of fudge nut bars until you you talk to a girl. He didn't even have to go on a date. So he told her she owed him two pants because he both talked to a girl and asked one out. You know, so. But he is just a lover of the world. If you could talk to him, have one more conversation. <laughs> have you had that? Uh, you probably do. Yeah, all the time. I go down to our headstone a lot and I just sit there next to him and I just chat, chat, chat away. I always say we have very one-sided conversations, but luckily our headstone's only like a mile away from our house. So it's really easy to get there. Um, so I find myself walking there and I will always gravitate towards it because it's very healing to just sit there and just say, oh, the kids are doing this right now. Ken, it's really into acting, which is another thing that Michael loved doing. He did theater and drama in high school, too. And just just the everyday things it helps us feel connected to him. And we don't have to go to the headstone to technically have that, you know. We have it here. Um, I like to sit in this room a lot and just sometimes just sit in absolute silence. And sometimes it feels like we have silent conversations, you know, but he is still extremely present in all the things that I do. And I, and I love that. But if I, I think that if I could... You know, honestly, if I could have one conversation where he actually did answer me back, I think I'd just be doing the exact same thing that I'm doing right now. You know, I would just actually have a physical response. <laughs> just talk his ear off. Is there something you miss hearing or say like his laugh? Or He would do this laugh sometimes when he would, when something was especially funny. And he'd, he would do this thing where he would grab his fist and he would like pound it on the chair and he would double over. And he, it was just this extra deep, beautiful laugh that I just love. And I, I really miss that. I, that was one of my favorite, like, just like simple things, you know, just, just those really simple things. I think that's, that's probably one of them. I mean, obviously I have a million, but that's always the one that I think of the most is his laugh and, and mostly how his laugh could charm me out of any type of, if I was in a bad mood, you know, like he, and he, the way he could make me laugh. I mean, I, I it's like dark magic somehow. I don't know, but <laughs> And, and he does, he has the most beautiful laugh and I, and I, and his smile, you know, which is so funny because I say that he's such an angry person, an angry looking person. He's not an angry person, but he's very angry looking or can be just, and it's because he doesn't like to talk to people. So he puts off this vibe of like, if you come near me, I'm going to get upset. So don't come near me. Like, <laughs> but really he's so tender and gentle and kind and funny. And it was really sweet that one time I have this picture of him on my nightstand that he's doing this one smile and his sister told me, you know, that's, that's an Amy smile. It's the smile that like I would only get to see that he would only really do for me. So I don't know how they captured him with it because he normally is not like that. (laughs) But I think he did that for me somehow subconsciously so I could have it. I think this is a great time to take a break and hear from the businesses that are making this podcast possible. If you support us and what we are doing, please support them. Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches. Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views. That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts.
Kenneth's readings are going to be kind of like the things that he wrote about that he um, when he was training in the Mojave Desert before they left for Iraq. My name is Kenneth Allman. I am the son of Michael Allman, and I will be reading. I will be reading his journal. We went on a driver's training exercise tonight out in the desert. For most of the ride, I got to stand in the LT's air guard hatch. It was cool. Once we got out into the field away from basin into the desert, driving over rough and dusty jeep tracks, I realized how much I miss the desert. I feel drawn to this landscape, to desolation, dryness, sagebrush, exposed geology. I like that as a place where the only strong and resourceful survive. Solitude. Quiet. We staged last night outside the loa prior to rolling out one of the most beautiful thunderstorms that I've ever witnessed rolled in from the west just as it got dark. It kicked up a wicked cloud of dust, stinging, blinding. After the dust calmed down, we laid out on top of the striker and watched the gorgeous bolts that raced across the sky, bolts that struck the ground, gusting winds that took my breath away. That's something else that I miss about the desert thunderstorms. It would have been perfect if my Amy had been there. Is there anything you would want to say to your dad? <laughs> Hi. Do you ever feel bad that you don't get to have him in your daily life? It gets a bit hard every single time. What do you want people to understand or know about growing up without a dad who sacrificed his life for the country? Well, it's hard at first. You get over it physically, not mentally. But... Would you join the military? Oh, yes. What do you think your dad would think of you and your brother? Well, separate, it would be nice, but together, it'd be chaos, so... Uh, my name is Kai Allman. My father is uh, Michael Allman, and I'm going to be reading one of his stories about when he was in basic training. January 24th, 2008, the gas chamber. We got to practice using our gas mask today. They took us to a training facility where we put our gas masks and helmets on and took us a platoon at a time into a room with burning tear gas. Even with the mask on, you could feel it irritate your neck. Then we had to pull the mask away from our faces, state our social security number, and then clear the mask of all the CS that seeped in. It burns your eyes and throat, but as long as you clear your mask quickly, it's not too bad. That was just a taste, though. Next, they lined us up in, in groups of 15 and take off our helmet. Then we had to take off our gas mask and put our helmets back on. Buckle them and hold out our gas mask in one hand and our rifles in the other. Your eyes water, your nose runs, and your lungs burn. We had to wait until all 15 were ready before we could exit. My group got out pretty quickly, but one of the groups was there for four minutes because one guy threw his helmet against the wall and tried to escape. It was an experience. How many people did the opportunity to do that? If you could say something to your dad, what would you say? Um, I don't know. Do you feel like you know your dad? Mm, A little, but not a whole lot. Do you feel cheated that you have to know him through stuff like this or other people's memories? No. Why not? Um, I mean, I would like him to tell me these things, but it's also cool to hear it from someone else, too, and their perspective on it. If your dad was around, what do you think you would do with him? 
go on a bike ride and probably run with him, have him help me on my homework. You want to say anything to him here? I really wish he was here because I um, I see my friends with their fathers and just wondering like what could have happened if he didn't die. But I know he he served for his country for a reason and for us. How do you feel about your service? <laughs> well, it's still going, I guess, huh? I am so proud to be his wife. I loved going to see him in at family day and going to see him when he graduated. You know, and he he always I think it was so hard for him to to be so far away from us and to know that he couldn't be there in an instant to help us if we were struggling, you know. So a lot of times I didn't keep stuff from him, but I just, I kept it, you know, because I'm like, he has so much to worry about already. And it, and usually it's just small things. Like, it, I don't know. I would try to share the everyday things with him so he would still feel connected to us, but I didn't want to worry him. It, it was it was this delicate balance that I tried to to strike, but it's it's definitely been hard. I'm, I miss him all the time, you know, um, but it's more in those moments. It's just those moments when we're watching a movie that I know he'd love or one that we had watched together. And sometimes I'll still turn to where he would normally sit and kind of still wait for him to laugh. He was at Fort Benning in Georgia. And I was able to go out there for the family day. And he kept moleskin journals are his favorite. And he kept one that he, he wrote stuff in. And he asked me to read this one that he had written. But he wrote it all the way back in December before he even left. And it was all about why he joined the military. And so that's what I'm going to share right now. So he wrote this on December 22nd of 2007. And titled, Why I Joined. And he says, I joined the United States Army because one day I expect to have the honor of meeting George Washington. On that day, I want to shake his hand, look him in the eye, and know that I earned it. The United States of America is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. The men who created it did so under the watchful eye of our Heavenly Father. They risked everything to do this. They risked families, fortunes, and reputations. When I graduated from high school, our country was at peace. The military was a career option, not a duty that I owed to my country. September 11, 2001, was an event that changed my relationship with my country. We were attacked and quickly retaliated. I supported my country, but felt that I was too old and too busy with college. The war would be over quickly anyway. As the war on terror progressed, it became clear that the armed forces needed men to protect the country. I excused myself by saying that my wife and two young boys needed me at home. I was wrong. You are not a reason to avoid military service. You are exactly the reason that I should serve. I need to step forward and do my duty as a man. You deserve a husband and a father who does the right thing, especially when that requires him to be separated from you. The day I raised my hand and swore an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States of America was one of the proudest moments of my life. I think that sums Michael up pretty well.
Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us via email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason or loudmouthtom. Check out our website at www.loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. We would like to thank our producer and editor, Josh Tilton, and our creative director, Amy Donaldson, for adding the spit and polish to our show. Remember that the more we allow ourselves to listen, the more we allow ourselves to learn. I'm Tom Luma. And I'm Jason Comstock. And until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. If you or any veteran you know is feeling self-destructive or suicidal, please don't hesitate to use the Veterans Crisis Line by either calling one 800 273 8255 and pressing 1 or by texting 838255 or by visiting www.veteranscrisisline.net This 24-7 confidential service is for all veterans, all service members, National Guard and Reserve, their family members and their friends. Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project.